0: how many decisions do you make in a day? It's probably more than you think. The answer, according to my decision to check the Internet to find out, is that the average adult makes 35,000 decisions a day. Now, obviously, we don't even think about most of the decisions we make. They're made subconsciously and We just do something. However, we do begin the day when we decide to get up and when we make the first of over 200 decisions that day about food, you know, what we'll eat for breakfast. Now, Kids, of course, make decisions too, and they only make about 3,000 a day. I'm not sure what that tells us about kids, but that's what the researchers tell us. 90% of the decisions we make are not made consciously, but many do require deliberate and even conscientious thought. And research indicates that the average adult makes 122 informed decisions a day. Decisions that are based on known facts or information that has been sought out And thought out. But where do you go to find the information you need? And how do you know if what you find is really true? And even perhaps more importantly, what do you do with the information you get? Pilate was a Roman official who was forced to make a decision and informed decision about Jesus. And after hearing the charges the Jewish leaders were bringing against him and questioning Jesus himself, Pilate asked, perhaps rhetorically, what is truth? When we pick up the text, we find him doing what politicians most often do today. When pondering a decision, he took a poll. We're studying in John chapter 18. Picking up with the second half of verse 38. And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? Therefore they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Pilate found no guilt in Jesus, but he had to do something to appease the Jews, so he offered them an alternative to what they wanted and polled them to see if it would be acceptable. It really wasn't a smart move on his part to ask what they wanted because taking a poll is not the best way to discern what should be done nor is it the best way to determine the truth if that's what you're looking for. Truth is not determined by poll numbers or a majority vote. The Jews weren't looking for truth and they certainly weren't looking for justice. They were looking to rid themselves of someone who threatened their lifestyle and who exposed their hypocrisy. The multitudes were flocking to Jesus. They were turning to him for spiritual direction rather than to them, the officially designated priests and rabbis. They wanted him silenced. They wanted his ministry cut off. Pilate realized this, but he also realized he couldn't release Jesus without some kind of censure. It had become the custom for Rome to release a Jewish convict during the Passover, as a gesture of tolerance and goodwill toward the Jewish community. Pilate thought that might be his way out of this sticky Jesus situation. So he proposed to release for them the king of the Jews. By doing so, he would be branding Jesus as someone who deserved punishment, but who was released as a humanitarian gesture. Maybe maybe that... Would be enough. The Jewish leadership could then point out that Jesus was a criminal. He had been a prisoner of Rome and would still be in prison or worse were it not for the custom of releasing a criminal during the Passover. Maybe, maybe that would let everybody off the hook. Pilate wouldn't have to condemn an innocent man and the Jews could walk away with the satisfaction of knowing they had ruined Jesus' reputation. He would be branded a criminal and would therefore no longer be worthy of the people's esteem. But the plan fell through because the Jews wanted blood. They didn't want Jesus' reputation tarnished. They'd been trying to smear it for three years. They wanted him dead and gone forever. They cried out, not this man, but Barabbas. Pilate had asked what they wanted, and they wanted Barabbas. They wanted Barabbas turned loose, not Jesus. Barabbas was a notorious criminal. John says he was a robber. Mark adds that he was an insurrectionist and a murderer. Barabbas deserved to die at the hands of the Romans, but he was set free, and a man Pilate knew to be innocent was kept a prisoner the poll made it evident that branding Jesus as a criminal wouldn't be enough. The Jews wouldn't settle for it. but perhaps perhaps they'd be satisfied if Pilate beat him and then paraded him in front of the people as a whipped and beaten man. Maybe Pilate could find a compromise, the middle ground and keep everyone. Then Pilate, therefore, took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and give him blows in the face. And Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus, therefore, came out wearing the crown of thorns, and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When therefore the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Offering a compromise is sometimes a good thing to do. But trying to find acceptable middle ground won't work when something is absolutely wrong. Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. He said it over and over. But still, he took an innocent man and had him scourged. He had Jesus beaten with a whip of leather thongs that had pieces of bone or pottery shards embedded in them, which ripped strips of flesh from his back. It was something so horrendous that it was illegal to do it to a citizen of Rome. But Pilate had it done to one his soldiers hailed as the king of the Jews, the one they crowned with thorns, cloaked with a discarded military robe, mocked, and then hit repeatedly in the face. When they were finished with him, Pilate went back out to the Jews and held a press conference. Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. In essence, he was saying, your king is no threat to Rome. I give him back to you. Jesus was then paraded in front of them, battered and bleeding, dressed in a blood-soaked robe wearing a crown of thorns. Pilate introduced him with the words, Behold the man! It was his hope that the display of a pathetic figure would evoke an emotional response and soften the militant spirit of the Jews. But he was wrong. Just treating Jesus like a criminal, even displaying him as one, wouldn't do. They wanted him crucified. So Pilate said, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. You want him crucified? You do it. I want no part of it. But they knew they couldn't crucify Jesus, and so did he. He was taunting them more than anything else, but they wouldn't be dissuaded We have a law, and by that law, he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. Now Pilate was deciding the fate of a king. Not just a king, but one who claimed to be the son of God. He didn't believe it, of course, but the very idea frightened him. Things were getting worse instead of better. Trying to appease his constituency with a compromise hadn't worked. Maybe passing the buck would. When Pilate, therefore, heard this statement, he was the more afraid, and he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Jesus didn't answer him, but according to Luke, Pilate did find out where Jesus was from. And he thought it might be his way out. We read about it in Luke chapter 23. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was in Jerusalem at that time. Now Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he had been wanting to see him for a long time because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed by him. And he questioned him at some length, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. And Herod, with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Now Herod and Pilate, became friends with one another that day, that very day, for before they had been at enmity with each other. Herod couldn't appease the Jews either. They weren't going to settle for anything short of execution. Passing the buck to Herod had not worked, so it was passed back to Pilate. And then, in spite of political differences and contempt for each other, they became best friends. What a picture. It was back in Pilate's court, literally. He knew what he should do, and he had the authority to do it. Maybe he should just try. Pilate, therefore, said to him, you do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me up to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. You do not speak to me? The emphasis is on the me. And the you is no doubt spoken with disdain. He couldn't believe that Jesus would refuse to answer his question. Didn't Jesus realize who he was dealing with here? Pilate quickly reminded Jesus that he had the authority to release him and the authority to crucify him. The implication is, you don't realize who I am. I'm the Roman governor. I have life and death authority over you. Jesus' response probably shocked Pilate. For not only did Jesus acknowledge that Pilate did have authority over him, he went on to note that that authority had been given to Pilate From above. That made it very obvious that Jesus was no threat to Rome. If a Jewish teacher acknowledged that Pilate had the God given authority to crucify him, he certainly wasn't an insurrectionist. Pilate therefore sought all the more to release Jesus. And the tense of the verb used here indicates he tried over and over. But the Jews wouldn't allow it. They, in effect, blackmailed Pilate by saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. The unspoken threat is there. If you release him, we're going to Caesar. And Pilate knew they would do just that. They'd done it before. And because of it, Pilate had been reprimanded by Caesar. If they reported that he had coddled a usurper to to the throne, Pilate would be finished. So he abdicated his authority to judge, his chance to do the right thing, and turned Jesus over to his enemies. Like him, we often do the same thing. Even when we know the right thing to do, especially as it relates to Jesus' will and our relationship to Him, we often lack the courage to do it. The social or professional cost of a biblical, spirit-directed decision might seem to be too high. So, like Pilate, we cave and yield to pressure. When Pilate, therefore, heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They, therefore, cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, "Shall so I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he then delivered him to them to be crucified. He brought Jesus out of the praetorium, still mockingly dressed as a king, and sat down on the judgment seat. Now, an interesting thing about the tense used here is that we can't be sure Who sat down on the judgment seat? There's strong evidence that Pilate sat Jesus down on the judgment seat. Those who object to this understanding do not do so on the basis of grammar. They do so because they can't believe Pilate would let someone else sit on his judgment seat. In reality, he was abdicating his authority to judge so he may very well have paraded Jesus out, sat him on the throne, and then declared, Behold, your king. In effect, he was saying, He's your king. Do what you want with him. Matthew adds that he had water brought to him and washed his hands in front of the multitude, declaring, I am innocent of this man's blood. He was washing his hands of the whole affair. He was turning his back on the responsibility God had given him because it was too hard to do the right thing. He knew Jesus was innocent. He knew Jesus was no threat to Rome. But he also knew it could cost him his job and perhaps even his life if he crossed the Jews one more time. So he caved. Now, John tells us this took place on the day of preparation for The Passover. And some have questioned the accuracy of the Bible here because Jesus and the disciples had celebrated Passover on the night before. However, the phrase John used can also be translated the day of preparation of the Passover, indicating it was the day of Sabbath day preparation during the Passover week, which of course would make it a Friday. And saying it was the sixth hour doesn't conflict with Mark who told us that it was the third hour when Jesus was crucified and the sixth hour when darkness fell of the land. Mark was using Jewish time, which began at sunrise, and John was using Roman time, which like ours, begins at midnight. Jesus was delivered over for crucifixion at six in the morning. And Pilate did so because he caved in to the Jews when they declared they had no king but Caesar, which was another bold-faced lie. The Jews hated Rome, and they refused to bow the knee to Caesar. Jehovah God was their king, and they longed for the coming of Messiah, who they thought would be their earthly king on the throne of David. But all that was forgotten in the heat of the moment, and they cried, We have no king but Caesar. By pledging allegiance to Caesar, they pressured Pilate to abdicate his responsibility and to yield to their demands to crucify the very Son of God. Nothing had worked. Pilate had to make a decision about Jesus, and he failed to make the right decision. He took a poll, and the popular opinion was wrong. He tried to find a way to stay in the middle and make compromises that would please everyone, but it didn't work. He tried to pass the buck and let someone else make the decision for him. But it fell back into his lap. He even attempted to make the right decision, but got scared off. He ended up yielding to pressure and tried to wash his hands of Jesus. What more could he have done? perhaps he could have done what came to me after realizing I would be preaching this on Mother's Day. (laughs) Something that Matthew tells us about. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with this righteous man. For last night, I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. He should have listened to her. No, she wasn't his mother. But it's probably smart to listen to your wife or your mother when making hard decisions. The advice Pilate's wife gave was good advice for him under those circumstances. Having nothing to do with Jesus would obviously be terrible advice today. And it's not the advice your wife or mother would give you, not if she knows Jesus. This morning, we pay tribute to such women. On Mother's Day, we rightfully honor all women who know Jesus, be they mothers or wives or simply women who know and love him. We honor them because they would all tell us the same thing when it comes to Jesus. Make him your Lord and Savior and follow him. Don't make Pilate's mistake. Listen to the woman God has put into your life.